Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Ben. Good morning, Providence. My name is Jared. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, as you've heard, we are wrapping up our Life with God series today. And I am simultaneously excited and intimidated at the same time. I'm excited because today we are talking about eternity with God. And I would say that this is the most grand aspect of all of the things that we have talked about when, we come, when it comes to life with God. This is the best one, the best news. But I'm also a, a little intimidated because um, we are trying to describe that today. And I know, we know that the God of the universe has put his best energies, his best effort, his best creativity, his best plan and design forward for an ultimate dwelling place for him with his people. And I'm going to try to describe that to you. It is a little bit of an overwhelming task. And so my opening prayer for this morning is Jesus take the wheel. I think we need a little help this morning to really understand this. Let me start uh, a little bit lighter. Let me start this way. So, um, so my wife and I, Carrie and I, we uh, were uh, in Texas, in Austin, Texas, before we came to Omaha about five or six years ago. And um, if you didn't know this about Austin, Texas, it has the best food in the world, okay? It has the best Mexican food, this Tex-Mex amazing stuff, the best food trucks. It has the best barbecue in the world. It's just the best. Now, unfortunately, now with my gluten-free, dairy-free diet, I cannot enjoy the wonders that is that. But when we were there, I didn't have that diet and we feasted. We feasted regularly. As a matter of fact, we went out on date nights multiple times a week. And actually, looking back, I don't really know if we went on those date nights because we really wanted to spend time with each other or because we just liked the food that much. It was that good. But ultimately, I don't think it totally matters because we were experiencing some amazing things. So, so out of all of the food, the, the Mexican food was our favorite. And there was one restaurant that we would go back to over and over and over again. Um, we went there every single week, and when I went there, I would always order the same thing. I would order this thing called the Big As Yo Face Burrito. And, yeah, amen. Thank you. Uh, and it had this uh, incredible uh, fajita steak inside of it, but the most amazing thing was it had this sauce that was on top of it. It was like this, this heavenly queso that was mixed with this spicy ranch all in one that was covered over the top of this thing. And it, it was just amazing. It was called boom, boom sauce. Now I won't explain why they call it that. I don't really know for sure, but I would order this, this burrito and my, I would just be salivating as I was waiting for it. And as is customary in every Mexican restaurant in Texas, they bring you chips and salsa beforehand. And as they brought these chips and salsa, I would proceed to eat, in my hunger, at least two full baskets of chips before the burrito would ever ever come. And the same thing happened every time. That by the time the burrito got there, it looked amazing, and it was good for about the first third of it, and then I'd have to choke the rest of it down because I filled up on chips and salsa before it got there, right? And I would go back, and we would go back again and again, and every time, two baskets of chips, I just downed them. And by the time it got there, I would either just eat part of it and box it up or just kind of suffer through eating it. Now, everyone knows that chips and salsa are, are great, but they're nothing like this burrito. Like, chips and salsa are like the JV team, and this burrito is like the varsity team. Yet time and time again, I did the same thing. And in this passage that we're going to look at today, it 
it presents a conundrum of whether we are going to try to feast on chips and salsa or whether we're going to try to feast on the main course, the burrito. That's my translation, by the way. The ESV doesn't exactly say that. But in Revelation 21, uh, God gives this vision uh, to the Apostle John of a vision of eternity, of life with God, so that we would long for it, so that we would wait for it. And he wanted to spell it out the best as he could so that we would see how much better eternity with God is than anything that we are experiencing now. Revelation 21 is written to awaken a sense of longing in us for eternity. And then the next minutes, I'm going to attempt to do the very same thing that John was doing for his original readers, a group of of Christians uh, who are... uh, frankly, going through some awful persecution, and they were in desperate need of hope. And John writes this to those Christians so that they could have this hope, so that he could awaken this sense of, of longing for, that, for them. And I'm hoping that we could do the same thing this morning. Philip Ryken, uh, he's a, the president of Wheaton College, he, he put it uh, a little bit differently. He says that Revelation is 21, 21 is written to awaken a sense of homesickness in us. Because heaven is our ultimate home. You know, the, the trouble that I think we face is that a, a lot of times we have these fleeting thoughts of heaven or we kind of mention it every once in a while, but we don't really focus on it. We don't concentrate it. We don't really know what it's going to be like, so we kind of just leave it out there. We don't long for it. I would say most of us don't, at least. But instead, we have found ourselves longing for other things, right? We're single and we're longing for marriage. We believe that another person is going to fulfill us. We don't have kids and we long for children in our family. You know, we have kids and we long for them to get out of the house, you know, whatever the case is. Uh, Sometimes we long for a a work or career path that's going to leave us being respectable and, and wealthy. We try to orient our lives around these things. Now, one of my pastor friends across town, he said it well. He said, you live for what you long for. So if you long for a relationship, you live for that. You reorient everything so that you can try to achieve that. If you long for a specific job or career or a status in in the working world, then you're going to reorient your, your school, your time, your energy, your money, everything, so that you can get to that goal that you're longing for. Now, I think we have to answer the question, all of us as individuals, what do we long for? What do you long for? Because you're probably living for what you're longing for. And my hope this morning as we look at Revelation 21 is to awaken a sense of longing for the real thing. To to ditch this chips and salsa mentality and long for the real course. To long for life with God eternity with God. And so we're going to look at three things in Revelation 21. Uh, This is our outline for this morning. We're going to look at um, creation remade, then creation reoriented, then we're going to look at creation relocated, okay? So first we're going to look at creation remade. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn open to Revelation 21. We're going to start in verse 1. Could you strive, just like Andrew encouraged us before, let this 
awaken a sense of longing in you. Verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. This is the Apostle John getting a vision from God himself about what eternity is going to look like. And this is the description. Now, it's important to know, if you're not familiar with your Bible, that this is the very end of the Bible. This is the second to last chapter. And so this is kind of the closing to the story. So it's important to know that now if you are familiar with your Bible, as we go through this, you will find yourself recognizing all sorts of pictures and prophecies and images and all sorts of things that are from back in other places in the Bible that are all coming to a head right here. All the paths of the Bible, even the paths of our life, are all coming to this big intersection. It's kind of like if you've done wedding planning before, you know, you, you have all of these things that you're juggling at once. You have people doing the centerpieces over here, and you've got someone hired to do the flowers over here, and you're trying to invite people into your wedding party, and you're trying to come up with outfits to try to make them look good on that day, and you're also shopping for your own wedding dress, and you're trying to get a caterer, and a venue, and a date, and you're trying to get a guest list, and invitations. All of those things are out there, and then, all at once, on that date, The outfits, the wedding dress, the decor, the food, and the people, they all descend on one place. All these paths lead to one place, and that's essentially what Revelation chapter 21 is. It's it's all the roads of the Bible intersecting in one place. You'll see what I mean as we keep going. Now, in verse 1, it says, you, you saw it before, it says, I saw the new heavens and the new earth. The first had passed away. Now, If you've read your Bible, you've heard this before, a creation of heavens and earth. It says in the very, very beginning of the Bible, the first chapter, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There's echoes of Genesis in Revelation chapter 21 that we just read. God is remaking creation. Now, he's not just creating it, but he is remaking it. He's remaking the heavens and the earth, and scholars kind of argue over what exactly is going to happen when new, new earth, or the new heavens and new earth are recreated. Some people will say, you know what, he's just going to wipe out the whole thing, and he's going to make something completely new, and I can totally see that. It seems like it might work out that way, because he said he's going to create it new, and the old will have passed away. <clears throat> but then there's Another group of scholars that thinks that he is going to do this divine renovation or repurposing of the earth. And one of the reasons people believe this is because this this language of the old passing away, we've seen that before in Scripture too. If you remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, If you are in Christ, you're a new creation, right? And it says, The old has passed away, the new has come. It's a story of, of someone transforming from death to life, and it says a new creation. The old is, <clears throat> excuse me, the old has passed away. And so the language in here it points to the fact that there is the same body, the same soul, the same person, essentially. It's not a completely new person, but it is a, per- a person who has been completely renovated or repurposed for God's purposes. They've been transformed for God's purposes. So this makes me think that our current earth is maybe going to just go through a massive overhaul, a massive renovation. So, so some scholars uh, have compared it to this idea of, of an acorn. And an acorn, uh, when it's fully grown, it is, it's not in its 
normal state, right? When it's fully grown, it grows into this oak tree. So it's something that's the same in in essence, but when it's fully grown, it becomes something completely more glorious. And so the earth is going to maybe go under that kind of renovation, where in its state right now, it's kind of like an acorn, but when God recreates it, it's going to be more like a fully grown oak tree. Now, this is amazing news and, and worth longing for, because if you remember last week what Andrew talked about from Romans chapter 8, um, our world right now is messed up. Like, there's all sorts of chaos going on. The Bible's very blunt about this, and we see it right before our very eyes, right? Like, you see just uh, recently Hurricane Michael devastating Florida, Just a couple weeks ago, you saw a tsunami in Indonesia kill almost a thousand people. You remember just a handful of weeks ago, Hurricane Florence that that just decimated the East Coast. Before that, there was a super typhoon that hit the Philippines that killed almost a hundred people. And that's just the natural disasters that have occurred just in the last two months. That doesn't count the, the crime, the corruption that we see, the death, the sickness that we see. You probably have friends right now that are suffering. I have a a close friend and a close family member who are both battling cancer right now. You see that the reality is is that we have this sin-filled creation, and God says that none of that will be present in the new creation. How do I know? Because it doesn't explicitly say that. But in the very next phrase of verse 1, it says that the sea will be no more. Now, if you're like an ocean enthusiast or you want to learn to surf in heaven, you might get a little bit worried right away. You're like, wait, is, are all the oceans gone? No, it doesn't mean exactly that. The idea is the sea was uh, kind of an, an analogous with, with chaos or oppression. And so the sea being no more means that God is going to remove the chaos, remove all oppression from this earth. It's all going to be gone. Now, could you pause for a second and just, just imagine a world where there is no bad news ever. Just imagine a world where nothing ever goes wrong. It's kind of a new thought. We, we're so used to things going bad. This world gives us a reason to long for something else, and God has wired us to live for this new creation. This new creation where everything is going to be perfect. Just imagine the beauty of what it's going to look like. Like whatever you're thinking of in your head, even the most artistic people, it's going to be better than that. Like if you think about it, uh, well, if, if you think about just some of the things that you've been able to put your eyes on, Augustine uh, says that if these are the beauties that are afforded to sinful men, what does God have in store for those who love him? If you think about some of the most breathtaking things that you've ever seen before in your life, when I think in my head, I think back uh, to the spring when I was able to go uh, to Phoenix. I don't know, have you ever seen a sunset in the southwestern part of the United States? Like, it is incredible. It's different than here for some reason. There's this gigantic sky, and it's blue, and then it fades into this strip of yellow, and then there are these, there's this bright shade of orange, and then the bottom third of the horizon are just these brilliant pinks and purples that just pop out of the sky. I think of that. 
When I think of the time that I got forced to, to climb a 14er in Colorado, kind of against my will, but I went up there and I got to the top and I remember as I was standing at 14,000 feet looking over at the hills and the valleys and the peaks of the Rocky Mountains, at least what I can remember since I was kind of dehydrated and, and I almost passed out when I was there. But what I remember was breathtaking. And then I think of uh, being able to, to go to the Bahamas once and seeing the white sand beaches and the clear water that, that exists there. Just unbelievably beautiful. And then I think of a time when I was in fifth grade, I was able to go with my family and fly into this remote jungle village in the jungles of Bolivia in South America. And as they led us out of this really small remote village with no road access, we just walked past tree after tree. There was an orange tree after orange tree, tangerine tree after tangerine tree, and you could just pick it and eat it or pick it and throw it away. It didn't matter, but it was just lush, green fruit everywhere. And I think of all these things and I think, man, it's going to be better than that. All of those things, the most breathtaking things that you've ever seen in your life, it is going, the new creation will be better than that. It is something to long for. In verse 2, it then says, And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Let me describe this creation remade a little bit more. This is a vision of a place where people live together in harmony. A, A place where people collaborate together. Where people grow together. Where people's minds are stretched and their creativities are used. And people will flourish Together. Later on in chapter, or in chapter 21, it describes the city, and it says in, in verse 24, it says, The nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Now, this is uh, actually a fulfillment of an Isaiah 60 prophecy about this final city, where it describes this scene where the best of the best of all the cultures of all time will come together. So the best of every language, the best of every culture that existed on earth will come and and be in place in this city. Hopefully, Austin Barbecue and Tex-Mex are going to be there in their glorified state, although I'm not sure they're not already in their glorified state. If you've tasted it before, it's pretty amazing. But this place is going to be sophisticated and diverse. It's going to, to, to beam with culture and creativity. This is a place worth longing for. Then in verse 3, it says, The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. Multiple places in the Old Testament use this kind of language. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Exodus 19, Ezekiel 37, multiple other places. And this is the pinnacle of eternity. The pinnacle of life with God is that you are living living with God without interruption. So instead of straining to hear his voice like we sometimes do now. Instead of wondering where God is or why he's allowing this or, or, or why he's taking us through a specific situation or, or what he wants from us in life, this will be God right in front of us. He will be with us. Have you ever found yourself praying the prayer like, hey God, what do you want me to do next? Or what do you want me to do now? Or God, where do you want me to go? Or God, what are you calling me to do? 
We're going to have to pray these prayers with confusion that day because he's going to be right in front of us and he will be able to answer all of those questions. It will be uninhibited. And later in Revelation 21, as it describes, it says that, that God's very presence fills every nook and cranny of this place with light. Just from God's presence, it just fills the place with light. And you think about that, you're like, okay, that's a cool thought. It's kind of confusing. I don't know exactly what that means. I think it's going to be awesome. I don't know everything that means, but, but it took me a scholar to figure out that one of the things, D.A. Carson clued me into one of the things, one of the applications of that is actually found in the very next verse. It's found um, in verse 4, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Because we are with God, there won't be mourning, crying, or pain anymore. Now, as I look out at you guys this morning, I can't imagine some of the untold stories of pain out there. I just... Imagine the, the, the stories of, of gripping depression that have kept some of you curled up in a ball under your blankets, not being able to get out of bed in the morning. Imagine the pain for some of you of, of loneliness, of feeling abandoned by people, completely all alone, feeling that pain and that weight. I can't imagine the, the pain that some of you have have experienced with the loss of someone close to you and just the the deep ache that that causes. I can't imagine the 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 experienced stories that maybe have, have never been told. And there's dozens of stories right here in this room. And because of verse four, we know it will be gone. It will pass away. We will never, ever, ever, ever have to experience that pain and that loss again. What a relief, right? What a gift of being in the presence of God. That's what God does for us. I heard uh, Philip Ryken uh, tell a story um, that really describes this verse. It was a story um, of his neighbor. His neighbor was a woman who had a teenage son. And her son had um, some pretty severe disabilities. And he was uh, in a highly specialized wheelchair all his life. That's where he essentially lived his life. And um, and he couldn't speak, uh, but he could at times give some utterance uh, that could be possibly interpreted from time to time. But this mom got a chance to take her teenage son uh, to a ski resort one time. And there they had this specialist that would take them out of their normal chair. They would put them in another chair and they would take them up the mountain and they would allow them, uh, and the specialist would take them down, guiding them down so that her son could experience the mountains freely, could experience the, the mountain air freely, could experience the trees and the slopes and all of the joy that everyone gets to experience every day on those slopes that he had never done before. And she said, as she looked 
toward her son's chair. Her son's wheelchair was empty. And she looked beside it, and there were a row of wheelchairs, empty chair after empty chair after empty chair. And as she looked at that, she said, what a picture of Revelation 24, that the pain and the things that hold us back, that inhibit us in this world, one day when we are with God, we are going to be freed from those things. And we're going to be able to experience life and joy. Amen? That's something to long for. Creation remade. Could we long for that place? The next thing I see in this passage is creation reoriented. We're going to see how creation is reoriented. Look at verse 5 with me. It says, He who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. There is one who is seated on the throne in this place, in this new heavens and earth. Now, if you notice, yes, there might be a party, but it's not only going to be a party. It's not only going to be human people who are flourishing. It's not only going to be maybe skiing down ski slopes or whatever it may be, but, but there is a focal point. There is a centerpiece. There is a throne and there's a king who is sitting upon the throne and that is God himself. God is the centerpiece in this picture. And honestly, it really always has been. We just maybe don't acknowledge it or we run from it or we're blinded to it or, or, or we haven't seen it that way. And let me show you what I mean. He actually claims to it right here. In verse 6, the very next verse, God says, uh, in the very next verse it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Alpha and Omega are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. And the idea that God was trying to communicate by claiming to be that is he's saying, I always have been the one from eternity past who's been in charge. And if you look into the future, all the way out here, I'm going to be the one who is ruling and reigning. And the timeline that runs between those places, I am uh, ruling, I'm, I'm authoring and orchestrating this story. I'm the one who presides over all of this, and I'm going to bring creation, including humans, all together through this grand crossroads of eternity. I'm the Alpha and the Omega right here. And you know how he's going to bring creation together or all humans together at eternity right here. He actually says it in this verse. If you look at, at verse 6, before he says the Alpha and the Omega part, he says three words. He says, it is done. Does that remind you of anything? Think Easter. Think Good Friday. When Jesus was on the cross, when he was in the process of having victory over sin and death, when he was paying for the sins of the world, the sins of you and I, he breathed one last breath and he yelled one thing and he yelled, it is finished. This scene echoes the reality that from beginning to end, this story has been written by God. And humans, like you and I, we have marred this story with sin. We have created chaos and oppression and sin and destruction. And Jesus came in through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection. And, and this story has been saved by him. The road to this place, to this Eternity with God and to ultimate life with God is only through the cross of Jesus. He is the centerpiece. He is the centerpiece then, he's the centerpiece 
uh, he's going to be the centerpiece in the future, and he is truly the centerpiece now. Now, the question for us is, have we actually reoriented ourselves around this future king and this current king in our life, or are we living for something else? Are we longing for something else? Providence, can I just challenge you a little bit? Man, don't long, don't ultimately long for the day that you can retire. Don't ultimately long for being a a free individual that's going to be able to just be free and travel to places and see the world. Don't ultimately long for finally graduating college and getting a a grown-up job. Don't long for, for finally landing that, that job in ministry that you've always wanted. Don't, land for, or don't, don't long for ultimately uh, owning your own business so you can be your own boss. Don't long for, don't ultimately long for that baby that you've wanted for so long. Don't ultimately long for your wedding day. When you ultimately long for those things, you will live for those things. And they'll change your priorities. They'll change your focus. They'll sometimes compromise who you are. They'll compromise your morals. They'll compromise your aim. Maybe sometimes even what you believe. And in the end, they will not satisfy. But later in verse 6, God says, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. We long for things in life because we were created to be satisfied by something outside of us. Because of our sin, we have turned from God and we've turned to lesser things. And and, and we have longed for things like a person who's going to fill us up, like a job that's going to fill us up, like money that's going to fill us up, like like some sort of status that's going to fill us up. And that rebellion from God has left us stained with sin and it's left us, frankly, it's left us unsatisfied. But... Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has said, come to me empty-handed and I will give you life. I will remove the stain of your sin and I will satisfy you. Now, if you're in here and you're a Christian, you've, you know this and you've heard this and you've maybe tasted a piece of it, right? That Jesus satisfies You've had some moments where you've believed that 100% and other moments where maybe you haven't believed that quite as much. But you have begun to taste the fact that Jesus satisfies. Well, as we've gotten glimpses now in this life, this water of life that it talks about in Revelation 21.6 from Jesus himself will satisfy us. When we are reoriented around Jesus, in this day, we will feel the fullness of contentment, the fullness of satisfaction that nothing in this world offers. Creation reoriented. We will desire nothing more. I've got one more thing that I want to hit. Um, I'm calling it creation relocated. I want to read the last two verses, verse 7 and 8 from our section, where it says this. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be 
in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Creation relocated. Relocated may be the best word that I could come up with that started with the prefix re, that kind of describes what's happening here. But the idea is that that there is an eternal destiny for people. That you are going to either be with God or you are going to be uh, a part of the second death. That's the reality. So for some of us, if we have come to Jesus, if we have trusted in him, the glories of this new heavens and the earth, they are going to be ours. We are going to be satisfied. We are going to be with God and it will be much better than we believe it's going to be. It's much more than you could ever imagine. But honestly, I have have a burden uh, for some friends and a burden for some of my family members that I know. And I have a burden for some of you in here um, because uh, you're maybe walking forward with a, a sense of, of maybe not thinking about eternity or maybe having a, a confidence in something that's not grounded for where your eternity is going to be. And as I, I, I think about this, I, I, so as I look on social media, I, I don't mean any disrespect by this, but as I look on social media, I frequently see people post things about lost loved ones where they say, um, you know, I can't wait to see you fill in the blank. You know, it could be grandpa, grandma, cuz, mom, dad, bro, BF, like whatever, whatever it may be, but they're, they're waiting to see someone someday. And I can't help but think, man, what, are, what exactly are you hoping in? What exactly are you counting on? I think that some people are walking toward that day not knowing that they have to repent and turn their lives to Jesus. And honestly, I feel like the picture that God has brought to mind this week about this kind of path, and I mean absolutely nothing political by this, but I remember exactly two years ago before the presidential elections, and and essentially everyone in the United States knew who who was going to win the election, right? Everyone in the world knew who was going to win. The Huffington Post, I just saw a stat that two years ago on this day, 98.1% chance that Hillary Clinton was going to win. Everyone knew. And so what did they do? On election night, they rented this amazing, beautiful, glorious convention center in downtown Manhattan with this glass ceiling, and they had this specialized confetti that was ready to fall, right? And they were ready to party. They were ready to go. And as they got there to the election night, and as things developed, all of a sudden... The fate was different. There was no party. The confetti never fell. It was a celebration ramped up for that never actually happened. Once again, this nothing to do with politics, only just a story about expectation. And my heart for you is that you don't get caught like that. Because there is a way to guarantee that that you can know that you will spend eternity with God. You will be able to experience the beauty of this new city, this new creation, this dwelling place of God. And it is true that you can experience the fact that there will be no more tears, no more pain, no more suffering whatsoever, and you can't even imagine how good it would be. And the way to know that is to come to Jesus empty-handed 
and to recognize that you have been living in a way that is rebelling against him and that you have been living for maybe your own goals and you've been longing for earthly things. You have been pursuing after these earthly achievements and the call is to repent and turn to Jesus. Trust in his sacrifice. Let him recreate you. Let him do something new in you so that you can experience that day with him, that glorious, amazing day that will go on forever and ever and ever. Providence, this is going to be a good day. It's going to be a feast. It's going to be a party that we are going to be able to experience with Jesus. It's going to be beyond what our eyes have seen. It's going to be beyond what our ears have heard. And, and it's not going to be something where we're going to be little chunky cherubs with togas on, playing harps and floating on clouds, right? This is going to be real. It's going to be before our very eyes. It's going to be the best that God could come up with, and he's going to share it with us. Providence, could we let our longing be awakened? Could we let our imaginations when it comes to eternity with God run wild? And could we live for what we long for? Could we long for heaven? I mean, imagine what it would look like if we longed for eternity with God. I think it would change things about us. I think that on one hand, it would, it would make us Uh, it would deepen our our dependence and our pursuit of God now. Man, if we're going to spend eternity with him, I want to know about him now. I want to know how he satisfies now. I want to spend time in prayer with him. I want to know his word. I want to know the Bible. I think it would deepen our our relationship with him. I think also that it would help us to to, uh, live through the trials and the circumstances of today. Knowing that our eternity is secure, knowing that God will take all of that away, it would allow us to have an unwavering hope and confidence in Jesus through our trials and temptations today. And maybe finally, I think that it would spur us on toward mission. Because if we know if, if that's the end one day, and we have people all around us who don't know this truth, it would spur us out in confidence. It would send us out with, with a hope that, that we could bring other people with us, that Jesus would save other people. It would drive us to our knees in prayer with the burden and hope and confidence where we would share boldly with people. Providence, could we long for heaven so that we could live for heaven? It's going to be better than we think. Let's pray. Jesus, we are thankful that uh, you have, in your grace, allowed us um, to experience life with you now, and you have uh, promised a life with you later that is incredible. God, could you awaken our sense of anticipation and longing for that day? Jesus, we want to live for you now, and we want to long for you now and long for that day where we could be with you. God, I pray that if there are people in here who are wrestling with this truth, who have never given their lives to Jesus, God, would you give them a picture of what life with you looks like? Would you, um, would you draw them in close? And God, uh, I pray that you would do an incredible work in their lives. God, we want to uh, continually and consistently have our longings awakened for eternity with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.